This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm the magazine's deputy editor, Jeremy Pound. Before we get started, a quick reminder to head to our website at classical-music.com, where you can read all about the latest music happenings, read reviews of thousands of recordings, enjoy our free download of the week, amongst much else. Plus, we're on the usual social media channels. And to keep abreast of what's happening, do sign up to our newsletter via our website. And last, by no means least, our July issue, The Proms Issue, is out now. The BBC Music Magazine Podcast. And with me in the studio today are our managing editor, Rebecca Franks, our reviews editor, Michael Beek, and our editorial assistant, Freya Parr. Hello. Hi. Hello. And as with every month, we're going to start off with what's been in the music news. And Freya, what have you picked out for us? So you can actually head to our website to read the full story on this, but I'll just give you a little pricey. So basically, the BBC are moving from their home in Maidervale to a new base in East London at the um, Stratford Waterfront Development. Um, So it'll be a kind of creative hub down there with lots of other organisations working in sort of arts and music world. So there'll be the V&A, Sadler's World, Wells and London College of Fashion. Um, so it'll be purpose-built recording facilities, lots of opportunities for performances and they'll also be doing some kind of outreach projects with local schools and things like that. So this is where the BBC Symphony Orchestra and BBC Singers will be based. Yes, yeah. and the, the BBC Concert Orchestra will also make a few appearances there as well. 
Well, up until now, of course, the BBC Symphony Orchestra has had its home base in Maida Vale, in sort of just outside central London, quite near Paddington. Now, presumably, they're going to be moving out, out of that, and that will, I presume, be sold at some point. Yeah, I believe that's being sold, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history there, I think, but I think this is a sort of a new, new era for, for the orchestras. I think what's quite important as well, just briefly, is that... Um, these these studios are going to be state of the art, and then actually they can be able to, do, able to do so much in there, and there'll be sort of recordings, concerts, the lot. It'll be actually quite an exciting exciting new hub for the, for the orchestra and the choirs. Yeah, great, definitely. For our second story, um, we're going to introduce this with the voice with which you may be familiar. So, Michael, tell us who that was and why is she in the news? Well, that was uh, Dame Kiri Takanoa, who is now a companion of honour, and she was announced that uh, in this week's Queen's Birthday Honours list. Uh, there were some lovely nods, actually, to uh, musicians and composers uh, for the services to music category, if you like. Uh, and the other notable name is Sir Simon Keenleyside, the baritone, who is now Sir Simon Keenleyside. Um, on top of that, uh, there's a CBE for Gillian Moore. She's the director of music at the South Bank Centre. Uh, BEs for mezzo-soprano Alice Coote, pianist and composer Julian Joseph and composer-conductor Debbie Wiseman. Uh, also MBEs for Rosemary Johnson from the Royal Philharmonic Society, uh, composer Orphe Robinson and the brilliant jazz trombonist Dennis Rollins. So a really great mix of people this it's year. It's a good haul for classical yeah. musicians this year. Wonderful. <laughs> I wanted to pick out one of those names in particular and it's one of the ones which people might be less familiar with outside the kind of music industry and that's Rosemary Johnson who has done sterling work at the Royal Philharmonic Society over the years and it's she um, she's just left the post this year she's handed over to her successor and I think it's lovely that she's actually got that bit of recognition as she reaches the end of what has been actually a fantastic time at the top of the RPS. Yeah they've done brilliant things haven't they and I think their awards have kind of gone from strength to strength as sort of real mark of recognition for musicians in the industry and sort of the commissioning that they've done and all the support they give for musicians I think it's really incredible. And they do such a good job of awarding and rewarding other people it's nice to see them get rewarded or one of them get rewarded rewarded herself which I think is fantastic completely agree yeah right well our next next story is um, you'll also may well recognise this piece of music
Right, that was um, Forêt's Après un rêve, as played by Sheku Kanemason at the recent royal wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Now, the upshot of this this performance is that it was seen by millions, of course, and he played phenomenally. He didn't he didn't blow his big moment, and his sales of his his album have absolutely shot through the roof. Um, he's gone. First of all, he went up to 11th in the UK album charts. That's not the UK classical album charts, that's the whole lot, which is not bad for a classical album. But more impressively, in the States, he's gone to the top of the US album charts. So if you take a look or take a look at the moment, you'll see that he's kind of some, several places above Taylor Swift, which I think is quite a... <laughs> no, quite that's quite a, a feat, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah, for a classical cellist. And it's not the first time that a royal wedding has actually kind of propelled a classical musician into the spotlight, is it? It's quite nice to hear. I mean, we've just mentioned Kiri just now. She, she was already well-known before the marriage of the Prince and Princess of Wales in in 1981. But then suddenly she became this really, really famous figure well outside the classical music world. Um, what I actually also liked was I heard him play just the Saturday after that royal wedding um, and he was doing a concert at the Bath Festival and he was playing with all his siblings who are all just ridiculously talented okay. musicians mm-hmm. as well. And um, it was just so lovely. After um, sort of seeing him on TV, you know, being viewed by millions right at the, you know the most exposure a classical music musician can get really and then just the next week having fun playing with his family and they really were having fun they just really obviously love playing together all different little combinations of different musicians and different instruments um and you know um he's got he's got older siblings his uh, sister's a fantastic pianist right down to his youngest um sister i think is eight and she already wants to be a better cellist than, than he is. <laughs> it's the, it's the rivalry. <laughs> I was actually chatting to his PR person kind of a couple of days afterwards. I hadn't, what I hadn't heard was that um, when he was walking away from the chapel at the end of it all and the crowds were still around, they recognised him, but not all of them had picked up his name, but they wanted to chant his name. But they just so they just went, chair, list, chair, list, chair, list. <laughs> and also, apparently he was, he was doing an exam two days after that as well, so... Kind of back oh, to really? work for the bump. Back yes. to work, like um, the BBC Young Musician yeah. winner, Lauren Zhang, who was right the day after, the day, yeah, right yeah. into GCSEs, yeah. wasn't she? Absolutely. Her brain was so fried when I asked afterwards. <laughs> I was like, go back to your books. <laughs> they are fiendishly talented, these yeah. people. <laughs> right, so Rebecca, talking about fiendishly talented, what have you got for us? <laughs> well, this is a, a, a funny story for the month. So this is um, a report came in of a musical duel between a robot and a human pianist. Uh, it was between the robot Teotronico and the pianist Roberto Proceda. And Teotronico, I think he's been around for quite a few years, actually. I found a video back in 2012. Um, but for this occasion, they were both playing some Chopin, Liszt and Beethoven to an audience in Beijing. And they were judged by the audience, by audience applause. Not quite sure how that worked. But um, Teotronico won for agility, accuracy and duration beating uh, the human pianist who won on continuity and expression, but because Teotronico won in three categories, he was declared the winner of this musical duel. And it just quite amused me, really. <laughs> yes, amusing to some extent, slightly worrying to other extents, um, because we we actually did a piece um, in our June issue, of course, about um, computers who compose and how they kind of can actually ape quite a lot of what humans do. And we think, well, performing is another level altogether. As you say, um, really, I think... He, you wouldn't surprise to see a robot being technically very ad- agile, would you? I would love to actually hear the performances myself and see. Yeah. Kind of well, I had a little look at the video of the Scarlatti in 2012, and it's pretty ropey, I've got to say. 
Um. If you head to our Apple Music pages, though, we have just created a playlist of artificial intelligence composers. So oh, really? I really recommend that. Oh, fantastic. Mm. <laughs> and you have to say, given give it kind of ten or fifteen years, one imagines that they will actually be able to create robots which can play with quite a lot of. Well, I, I, it kind of made me theme. think about these, um, you know, chess players who compete against AI com- AI players, mm. and just the level that that's got to. Um, and I know perhaps that to me it seems like there's a lot more creativity in, in music, but it's, I think you're right. Give it a few years. <laughs> yeah, a bit, of, a bit of canny programming in, in there. <laughs> Excellent. Right, well, let's move on to this month's magazine. This month's magazine. Our July issue may be called the July issue, but actually it's really a proms issue as well, because that's our big focus for this issue. And it includes a proms performance on the cover CD. Tell us about it, Rebecca. It does. It includes a performance of Rachmaninoff's Symphony No. 2 by the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and conductor Thomas Dowsgaard. And this is actually a very recent proms performance recorded last year in 2017, um, picked specially for us from the archives by uh, the orchestra, so it's one they're really proud of. Um, and it's a really cracking performance um, and quite apt. It's 110 years since the symphony was premiered. Um, so I think we could have a listen to a clip from the, the final movement, the Allegro Vivace. There you go. That was Thomas Dowsgaard conducting the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra in Rachmaninoff's second symphony at last year's proms. Um, as you say, it's all part of a big proms issue. Can you just give us a brief overview of what other ways we cover the proms in this issue, Rebecca? Yes, yeah, so um, we've got all you could possibly need, really, for planning your proming this summer. Uh, there's full listings in the magazine for all the proms, all the concerts, uh, various sort of box outs explaining different themes and different aspects of the proms for you to look out for. Plus, we've got... Um, various features on uh, assorted proms and one in particular which I think Freya's going to tell us about which is people of the proms. Yes, I had a particularly lovely if slightly manic day at the Albert Hall. Um, I headed down there with our art editor and a lovely photographer to meet some people who have been involved in the proms for many years or some newcomers but the people behind the scenes who really make the proms what they are. Um, And this kind of came about because Rebecca had heard about um, Graham Bradshaw who's the co-principal cellist of the BBC Symphony Orchestra and he is in his 40th year of doing the last night of the proms so that kind of inspired this piece we met him along with a studio manager um, a steward a photographer and of course a promer and yeah just kind of discussed with them their memories of the proms over the years and how it's changed and how it's evolved and what really makes it a particularly magical festival 
And that's what I particularly like, actually, about the proms, is that it is that sort of cast of other people. You just you get used to seeing them each year, don't you? The, the stewards in their red coats. And, yeah. and I know it irritates some people, but you have the sort of the tradition of the promise shouting when the piano lid I is love lifted. that bit. <laughs> well, wait for it. <laughs> it, is, it is that sort of... It's, it's the one festival I can think of where the sort of festival goes well beyond the people on stage. Yeah, And that's totally. kind of what we wanted to get across yeah, with well, this feature, having had this day, like... Everyone I met seemed to know in, each other and they would all introduce me to each other. And, I, and it was great because it was like they were all this family that then come together for the summer and then get to recap on what they've done for the rest of the year, which is really lovely. Like the steward, Shirley, um, said that she she's so good, such good friends now with a lot of the promers that she went to one of their funerals recently when they passed away. Um, and they just have this really lovely like three months together of... Uh, concert going. I was a, a steward one season at the uh, the proms in the summer and it was very much like that because there were some stewards who were there for a really long time and then I just went for one summer but you really become part of that family <laughs> and they really show you the ropes and make you feel welcome and part of that and it was, it was a great job, really enjoyed yeah. that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, our proms issue isn't just all about the proms. Um, there are other things happening in July as well. And our reviews section, I'm glad to say, is as full and packed as normal. It certainly is. And at the front of the reviews section is our traditional recording of the month. And Michael is going to tell us all about that. Absolutely. So recording of the month for July is a stupendous release of uh, John Adams' naive and sentimental music. It's performed by the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, conducted by Peter Ungen. And uh, this was released uh, in what is his final year at the orchestra. He, he sort of bows out later this year. And I think actually it's it's a really ambitious work, an ambitious recording, and I think that's typical of what he's been doing with them since he's started there in 2012. Um, the highlight for me, though, on the disc is the performance of Absolute Jest, for which the orchestra is joined by the Doric String Quartet. And as our reviewer Kate Wakeling said, the quartet soars effortlessly over the dense orchestral textures, and I think we hear that in this clip from the second movement, Presto. So that was the second movement, Presto, from John Adams' Absolute Jest, uh, recorded by the Royal Scottish National Orchestra and Peter Ungen, released uh, on the Chandos label. Excellent. And it's worth pointing out at this stage, something to keep your eye out on for the future, is that each month we collate all the discs which have got five stars and put a big list of them, and they all go into the into the hat for the jury to, to chew over for our awards. Absolutely. Yes. Even at this stage, we're thinking about next year's awards. Yeah, so. indeed. Excellent. So... On to this fine gentleman playing the piano.
That was the great Alfred Brendel, who no longer performs today. He's actually retired, but that clip is from a concert a while back where he was performing Schumann's Piano Concerto in Vienna, and that disc has just been released. Now, rather to our delight, um, Brendel wrote to us and said he would like to write about this performance and about the art of tackling Schumann, and it's a fascinating spread in which he describes what are the pitfalls, what are the joys of the piece, kind of, and how he's taken inspiration from other pianists he's heard play it, but not too far, that it's always important to, to kind of create your own idea, not to be too led by what you've heard before. And it's one of the great joys of music and being in this job, actually, is to hear great musicians describing how they actually approach a piece of music, isn't it? I think there's also something particular about pianists being excellent writers about music. You think of Stephen Huff, Susan Tomes, um, well, Brendel as well. Somehow, it's, I don't know what it is, it seems to go hand in hand, this urge to play the piano and to write and to kind of discuss some particular thing. Now, if you want to hear that particular performance um, by Brendel, it was recorded in 2001 um, with the Vienna Philharmonic, and it's on a new disc called Live in Vienna, and it's simply a case, it hasn't been released on disc by now, it's always been there in the sort of, in the recordings, recording back catalogue, but they've never actually released it, but now it's on disc, and it is superb and worth, well worth hearing. Excellent. So, talking about discs we recommend, we're now going to move on to our first to listen section. Right, in this, our first listen section for any new listeners to our podcast, this is where we each take one disc which we've been listening to recently and particularly enjoyed, and we're going to share our joy with the listeners and say why we've enjoyed it. Rebecca, you go first. So that was the Adagio from Schubert's Octet on a new recording on Harmonia Mundi. Um, the clarinetist is uh, Lorenzo Coppola and the lineup of musicians includes violinist Isabel Faust. Um, I just think that's so gorgeous and really beautiful. Um, very Mozartian almost with that kind of, those long breathed kind of clarinet, like clarinet lines over the strings. Um, and actually, I've got to say, this is not a piece that I know that well. It's sort of from Schubert's, the same period as his death in the Maiden Quartet, sort of 1824. Um, and he was invited to write it by Count Ferdinand Troyer as a response to Beethoven's very popular septet. Um, so he decided to add one more instrument to the lineup and write an octet for clarinet, bassoon, horn, two violins, viola, cello, and double bass. Um, and this in, uh, this recording's on period instruments, and it's just a really gorgeous listen. It is. Well, it's lovely. Very calming. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll all be very zen now for the day. <laughs> Well, I'm actually going to shatter that sense of zen oh, no. <laughs> with the clip from my disc, which you'll, you'll actually might you, you'll probably quite recognise this tune.
that piece of music, as well as being what we well, probably heard that tune an awful lot recently as Germany. We're recording this, by the way, before the World Cup begins, but before they inevitably head to yet another World Cup victory, and you'll hear that, the German national anthem lots of times. It is also the Habsburg Imperial Hymn, but in that this instance, actually, that is the fourth movement of Smetana's Festive Symphony in E Major, Opus 6, performed here by the Berlin Radio Symphony Orchestra under Daryl Ang on the Naxos label. Now, why did I pick this out? Because it's actually quite an interesting story behind this symphony. Um, Smetana wrote it in 1854, at which point he was kind of getting quite cosy with the Habsburgs, with Emperor um, Franz Joseph. And he had great hopes that Franz Joseph would actually kind of promote the cause of Czech nationalism and actually... And then things didn't quite work out that way. And later, it was Smetana himself who basically barred the performing of the symphony, or he didn't perform it much. He only perfor- ever performed or conducted the scherzo, which is the only one of the three movements which doesn't have that Habsburg national hymn. <laughs> no. However, um, it has been recently recorded. It does get occasional performances and recordings. Um, and this really caught my ear because actually... That um, hymn tune aside is actually a rather fun symphony. It's very lively. It's lots of really gorgeous writing in there. And the reason for its neglect is obvious, because it became out of fashion that way. Um, and I was delighted to hear this. There's, also, there's even some kind of quite Brahmsian moments in there as well. So mm, okay. have a listen to that. Give it yeah. a go, yeah. even if you are sick of hearing the German national anthem. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, I don't watch the World Cup really, so I'm probably not going to get sick of it. <laughs> Freya, what have you got for us? So I've got a double disc of solo flute music, forgive me, and even as a flautist that didn't sort of like fill me with joy, but actually it is one of the most love like one of the loveliest discs I've listened to in a while. So it's Emmanuel Paud, um, and it's called Solo, and it's on Warner Classics. Um and like I said, yeah, it's a double disc. Um and it basically is the Telemann Twelve Fantasies interspersed with various um Flute, solo flute works from the 20th century and contemporary eras. So there's kind of like a wildly diverse um, repertoire choices. And as a flute player, I was familiar with most of them, but there are still some that actually are very unknown to me and were really out there. So we're actually going to listen to a track um, by Karg Elert, uh, and it's the Sonata Appassionata. So that was Emmanuel Poud um, playing Cargalette's Sonata Appassionata, um, and that makes up one of the discs on his new um, solo album. And I just think his sound is so clean and rounded throughout all of it. And actually, I really like the combinations of works, and I think actually the contemporary works bring out elements of the Telemann that you wouldn't necessarily hear. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a really lovely disc and shows the kind of diversity of works available for the flute. Um, 
Interestingly, well, it's interesting to me. Um, <laughs> Anil Poud was the first person I ever interviewed. Oh, that's that's music you music journalist high. back in 1997. <laughs> and I remember, still remember to this day, one of the things he told me is that he was insistent that he never wanted to hear the flute described as a nice instrument. Oh, I could not agree more. And that, by that, he meant that it should have edge. It had all should have all yeah. sorts of these different colours, etc. That it's, and I think he really does that on this. He shows yeah. what a versatile instrument Definitely. it can be. Mm. And I have huge amounts of respect for flautists actually because it's very difficult to play. You must know. <laughs> piece in particular I've played and I, it took me so many months to even kind of crack it slightly because it's just there's so much more to it than you know the simple notes and he just is such a wonderful player great stuff okay and Michael what have you got for us uh, so I've been listening to a composer I'd not heard of before, David Diamond, American composer. Um, uh, I've been listening to an album that Naxos have released on their American Classic series. It's, uh, it's Symphony Number no. 6, but the uh, piece that stood out for me actually was his concert suite from Romeo and Juliet, and uh, the choice is the overture from the concert suite. <laughs> So that was the overture from the Romeo and Juliet concert suite by David Diamond. Um, can you give us a little hint of to what his music style is like in general? It's um, very tuneful. I think actually that's probably why he was not so fashionable at the time. As we're talking from mid late forties, um, it was. It's just very melodic music. It's it's quite programmatic, I suppose. It's sort of it's populist a sound, but that really appeals to me. And who's playing here? Um, oh, that's a very good question. That is the Indiana uh, State uh, University Orchestra. Excellent. Wonderful. And that ends this month's BBC Music Magazine podcast for the July issue. Come back next month for our August podcast when we'll be discussing what's been in the news again, what's all in the August issue and much besides. In the meantime, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from the team. Bye. Bye.